So whenever we record remotely, we have to get on a world clock and clap at the same time. So I'll say, you know, clap on 40 seconds. <laughs> and I don't know what the lag time is. I don't know if it's the legal weed in California, but Joey is always very, very behind. You are not better than me. How do you know that you're not the one that's clapping at the wrong time? Huh? No, because I'm Well, I'm clapping first and you're clapping second. No, you're clapping. I'm clapping first. You're clapping second. No, that, no, that's, that's not what just happened. You know what? Call Jesus with your problems. Call your therapist with your problems. I'm I'm very busy. I'm busy, 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 too busy for your problems with clapping on time. (laughs) Hi, Joseph. Hello, Yellen Marsh. How are you? Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, where Joey and I recap our favorite true crime show, Disappeared, on ID. We are on our second recording. This is actually our first Disappeared remote recording. So those of you who are not in the Drama Club are hearing us remote for the first time. How are you doing over there in San Diego? I'm great. I'm actually converting. That's right. Converting all of the cast to down (gasps) bitches. Oh my gosh, are you really? Yeah. Actually, tell them the other day, Joey told me that one of his castmates said something about the podcast. Yeah, he was like, you know, I was in the car and I, I was driving home and I, I always listen to podcasts. And so I turned your podcast on. He's like, it's really funny. You guys are funny. I'm like, thank Aww. you. I you. I think I'm a That's celebrity so now. <laughs> sweet. And don't forget, if you haven't joined us on the Patreon, if you have a big drive coming this summer, if you're taking a big trip, if you got some cleaning to do, binging us on the Patreon is the way to go. Right now, we are covering the absolute most bananas show I think there is on television. It is called Pink Collar Crimes. So camp. And we are having a blast with Marsha Clark. We have back episodes of Snap. You know, ladies who've got, you know, dildos and handguns. And we have, see no evil, evil lives here, fear thy neighbor. Who the bleep did I marry? All ad-free, available to download and binge right now. We have tiers that include our close friends circle. I don't know, maybe we'll add another tier. I've had a couple DMs for another tier. Who knows? You can find us on our website. Just click the Patreon link and come and see us. We call it the Drama Club. We have a blast there. And we take your suggestions. Actually, tonight. Night. While we are recording this, we are going back to our true crime trivia. Yeah, it's Joey's first true crime trivia night. I'm so excited. And I just have to go back and say, for the record, I really do think the Patreon is worth our Jackpot Jackie episode. It's a good I mean- <laughs> episode. <laughs> just for that. Just listen to that one and then cancel it. It'll be fine. But we got a lots of messages about the trivia coming back. And hey, we are here for you. That is what we do on the Drama Club. So we hope to see you there. But are you ready to go and dive into this episode? Oh, I don't know if I'm actually ready. I don't know if I'm ready for this episode. I'm not going to well, lie. Well, we have to do it. We're under contract. Okay. All right. Season 8, Episode 2, Silent Sun, tells the story of the disappearance of Mason Smith. He's a new face in a new town. Mason's family recently moved to St. George. They'd only been here a short period of time. He seemed the happiest we'd seen him. Until, like a typical teen, he tests his parents' limits. Darren said, give me your laptop and I'm going to take your phone too. But his parents' punishment triggers their worst nightmare. He left his cash, his ID cards. By all appearances, he left with the clothes on his back. But he also leaves a hidden, cryptic message. We read it together and we just, we just sobbed. So they really don't know what could have happened after he walked out the door. All right, so here we are on Monday, August 31st, 2015, and 17-year-old Mason Smith is walking home from school, and he texts his mom about his report card, which is full of A's, baby. Yeah, it's his senior year, and he got his progress report. And we meet Mama Tracy, and like any mother, she's saying all these adorable, glowing things about her son. But the reason he is so excited (laughs) about these A's 
is because now that he kept his grades up, his parents have to come through on their promise that he can go back to watching anime. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I laugh because she did all this bragging. She's like, my son is very bright, and I know everybody says that about their kid, and I'm like, you brag about your son, Tracy. You do it. Don't brag about being a fan of 98 Degrees, but be a fan (laughs) of your kid. Now you have to ante up for the deal you made, which is that, I I don't even know how, they never say her name. The sergeant, Uh, is it like Choli Entz? Choli? I don't know. I know. It's very confusing. We'll just call her Lady Sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lady Sergeant of the the St. George Police Department is here to explain to us what anime is. Anime is adult cartoons, really. I want to say gothic, but very emotional type plots and turmoil. His parents kind of had to put the reins on, you know, his video game and TV watching. I get that. I can sit and scroll TikTok for an embarrassing amount of time. Number one, I'm too old for TikTok. And number two, I have shit to do. (laughs) But it's true. You, You know, they were like, he was watching too many cartoons, playing too many video games. So they basically like put the kibosh and they were like, you have to keep your grades up and then you can do the thing. Well, which is what he did. And then they were like, JK, uh, your dad's going to take you for a driving lesson. So you ain't going to be able to kick back with that Mountain Dew and some anime. You're going to have to <laughs> wait and you're going to have to hold off. So we pause on this reneged deal <laughs> that the parents made I with know, their kid. Poor Mason. He's like, I you promise. <laughs> the Smiths live in St. George, Utah a picturesque city of 80,000. St. George is a tourist mecca situated in southwest Utah on the border between Arizona and Nevada. Mason is the youngest of the six Smith children. Mason is the youngest of six. Ah, it's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. Anyone who has six kids, my hat's off to you. That's too many. But he was one of many kids, and we were told that Mason was looked after by his older siblings. Sister Raceland is here. She's so sweet. And she says, you know what? We had a blast growing up together. And it was his senior year of high school. Now, that is a really precarious time to move. And I was like, oh, you're moving him his senior year. Now, he wasn't particularly happy in Canada. But still, that's just a lot of change when you're, again, about to make a lot of change, poor guy. Teenagers are frightening monsters. They're hormonal. They're moody. They think they know everything. When we were living in Canada, he and I both suffer from some depressive symptoms, and we thought about all the places we could probably go where there would be more sun, and we just thought St. George would be the best. And Mama Tracy says that, you know, Mason was on the shyer side. Yeah. And much like Mama Tracy, Mason also suffered from depression. Thank yeah. you for your honesty, Mama Tracy. Yeah. We appreciate that. Yeah, and they felt like moving to a place with a lot more sun would be helpful. And they both thought, you know what? St. George looks pretty good in that way. So in April of 2015, they moved to St. George. Now, most of that spring and summer, it was just Mama Tracy and Mason because Dad was away working on some construction sites. Right. And Tracy and Mason were very close. You know, he was the baby in the family. Now, since he had transferred from Canada, not all of his credits transferred. The worst. They were like... (laughs) Uh, maple syrup making did not transfer. <laughs> Ice luge yeah. uh, did also did not transfer. Uh, geese hunting didn't transfer from Canada. Yeah. Lots of things don't transfer from Canada. You know what? I guess that semester of studying why Justin Trudeau is so fucking hot, it's not appreciated by American educators. No, they ha- you know they have a class called the Justins, and they juxtapose Justin Trudeau and Justin Bieber. What? And so that, yeah. No, it's called the Justins. <laughs> I hate you so much. Why is it I fall for this shit? I, you had me going for a minute. I kind of hate you. <laughs> but since the uh, appreciation of maple syrup and where it was made didn't transfer, he had to take summer school classes in order for him to be ready to graduate properly, you know, after his senior year having transferred. And listen, y'all, Mason, I mean, he was really starting to thrive in St. George. He loved the city. He loved his school. He thought the people were really kind. Now, something to note about this dude, Mason was 6'4". 200 pounds. That's a big dude. He's 17. I'm just kidding. I'm just (laughs) saying I I like him tall. I don't discriminate. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the handsome teenager has a deep-seated sensitivity from his youth. Mason once struggled with childhood aphasia, 
a delay in his speech development. He would throw tantrums when you couldn't understand him. He also had childhood aphasia, and that kind of like caused a little bit of delayed speech in his life. Now, his sister was the only one who absolutely all the time understood him. And I thought that was really precious. Almost like they had like a little secret language because even his mother couldn't understand him sometimes. And then she would explain things and sort of be his little translator. I thought that was really, really cute. It's very sweet. Also, I understand. I have been there when it's like to throw a tantrum because no one understands you. Try doing a podcast with this San Francisco treat. (laughs) (laughs) She ain't always a treat. Sometimes she's a trick. Time and speech therapy helped Mason. Yet those closest to him still heard reminders of that difficult time in his voice. It wasn't very obvious, um, but it was just the way he talked. I describe it as if you did meet a hard of hearing person. But his speech did remain somewhat slurred. And in junior high, he got picked on a bunch because kids are fucking assholes. Yeah, so pull over for this one. I'm about to lose my Uh mind and Uh monologue. Now, I suffered from bullies in junior high. I think a lot of people will be nodding their head that we were all picked on for something. Now, my best friend from college, a friend of ours, me and Patricia's friend, Melissa, her son has a stutter and he's got I'm honestly getting emotional talk even just thinking about it. He's got a bad stutter and it's a challenge. And Ma and Melissa is so incredibly patient with him. Now, stuttering is recognized as a disability under the Americans with Disability Act. And roughly three million people suffer with a stutter. And thinking about the fact that a child would mock and criticize this little boy for something like that. Now, I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to take a deep, deep left turn. I support anybody's belief to believe anything what they want about elected officials. But the one thing that I found absolutely revolting and disgusting was people coming for Joe Biden's stutter. Yeah. Because to mock and criticize him about his stutter is, in my book, discrimination. And that reflects more on the part of the person who was, and I saw it all over online. Yeah. And it broke my heart because he is such an idol and an icon to little boys like Max, to Melissa's son. Because, listen, there's tons of things you can criticize anyone about. You can criticize Biden all you want, but stuttering should not fucking be one of them because regardless of your political opinion, whether you support him, it is not okay to make fun of someone's disability and to claim a stutter makes someone bad at their job is not only untrue, but it is cruel. So thinking that this little boy had to suffer about his speech, I have chills all over my body because it is already hard enough being in junior high and high school, but thinking that he was at the receiving end of that kind of torment, that makes me just feel some kind of way for this little boy. Because that was the one thing I was like, say all you want about Joe Biden. I don't give a shit. I don't care. You know, you're you're entitled to your opinion. That is not of someone's opinion. Oh, you no. do not come here and do that. Also, to be able to overcome it in the way that he has and, yes. and to be able to manage it when you're under the amount of stress and pressure that he is to be yes. able to, you know, I mean, those things would cause you to stammer even more. Absolutely. And that man shows a lot of grace under pressure. So yeah, he's a hero to people like that. Yeah, that hit me in a place today. Well, anyway, kids are gross. They sneeze Cheetos. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Mason, listen, he found ways of coping. He wrote music. He wanted to be a rock star. He loved video games. Me too, baby. And then his new (laughs) obsession became anime. And yeah, and mom Tracy says like, no, for real, y'all. He was addicted to anime. And and and, in every spare moment. He was watching it, and that day he called his mom about his good grades. He was expecting to binge him some anime. Yeah, poor th- and I get that. Now, his parents were like, oh, we also forgot, though, we want you to learn how to drive. Yeah. Because there's only one reason that parents really want their kids to drive, and that's so that they don't have to drive them places anymore. <laughs> because my parents, the day we turned 16, they're like, get your coat, we're going to the DMV. Oh. They didn't give a shit about us. They're like, we don't want to drive you to your fucking practices and your schmactuses and your rehearsals and shit anymore. Yeah, your shift at the gap. Listen, yeah. I could not <laughs> wait to get my driver's license so I could get out of my house and be like, see ya. Y'all enjoy yeah. that Jesus talk while I go to the French Quarter to make out with cute boys I will never see again. I got a man with one leg I'm dying <laughs> to make out with a little bit. Here I come! <laughs> Don't tell me not to live, just sit and up. His father, who just arrived home three days earlier from Salt Lake City, 
has another idea. Darren wanted him to get his license and wanted to take him out driving. The 17-year-old has been dragging his feet on getting his driver's license. He wasn't confident, and I would tell him the only way to get confident is to do it. His father wants to help. So dad Darren, he went to go get Mason and was like, all right, the time has come. We're going to do this driving lesson. And son Mason, he complained of a headache. And so they rescheduled the driving lesson to the next day. Now, Mama Tracy gets home at about 830 and Mason was already in bed and she goes in there. She's like, what's wrong? And he's like, nah, I just don't feel well. Some days you just want to get in bed and pull the covers over your head and go to sleep early. She's like, okay, honey, just feel better, yeah. you know. And Tracy, she's a mama six, and she was not born yesterday. No. She was like, okay, but I'm going to unplug this here internet. Yep. I was like, why do you got to unplug it? Just change the password. Don't you have shit you want to do? <laughs> don't you want to scroll for a little, I don't know. No, not everyone does that doom scrolling right before bed. Oh, okay, just me. And he already had a curfew of 10 p.m. for electronics. And she said, I normally hid the cord, but tonight she's like, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just unplugging the fucking thing. Honestly, the whole thing reminds me of going on to America Online in the middle of the night to talk to strangers in male-for-male yeah. chat rooms and the sound yeah. of a dial-up modem. Oh, do it for the children. Bang, bang. <laughs> Welcome. You are gay. Um, the, so <laughs> the children will never know the pain and the hopefulness that your internet connects, that inconsistent nope. internet. Nope. They will never know. Sounded like the end of the world. Around 1.30 in the morning, something wakes Mason's father. So Darren gets up in the middle of the night and he was just seeing if he was right, <laughs> if Mason would plug in the cord. According to Darren, he sees a blue light coming from under Mason's door. So around 1.30 a.m., Dad Darren wakes up and walks by Mason's room and sees a blue light under the door. So sure enough, Mason is in there watching some anime and Dad confiscates. He's like, give me the laptop. Give me your yeah. phone. And most teenagers would argue, but there's a talking head here who I don't know what she's going through, but she shows up and she looks like she has had a rough night. And that makeup she artist did not like her. Do you remember when Carrie Bradshaw woke up late for that photo shoot and the cover was 40 and fabulous question mark? Question mark. Oh, yeah. And do you know who the person was who banged the cover of the magazine on her cab door? Who and was it's like, it? this you? <gasps> Bradley Cooper. It is Bradley Cooper. Well, y'all. It's a young Bradley Cooper. Let me tell y'all, this woman's got creased eyeshadow, bad lipstick, unbrushed hair. She looks like she came straight from the club to do this interview. She's like, right, right. Fuck, I've got, I've got to do this interview. I just <laughs> flat, I'll just use this I lip gloss it, on my brows. I think it's 30 and fabulous, question mark. Was it 30 or 40? Ellen, who cares? That question mark was an assault. It's that question mark is hostile. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Mason just literally handed over his phone and laptop and dad Darren goes back to bed and he's like, yep, he plugged yep. it back in. So, and, and I get that. I've done that to Lola. I'm like, I'm not arguing. Just go, don't do that thing that is going to annoy me. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> At seven o'clock the next morning, the Smiths begin their regular routine. Darren got up, knocked on Mason's bedroom door and said, Mason, are you up? And he just said, yep. And uh, Darren came back to bed. A little while later, they hear Mason getting ready. We heard him about 7.30ish, kind of rifling around in the kitchen. Mama Tracy hears Mason in the kitchen and then, you know, doesn't really pay. You know, you just go along about your morning. There were mornings I, like, didn't see my parents. You know, somebody's leaving early, the comings and the goings. And she remembers hearing the garage door open and close at about 7.40. But nobody saw him that morning. No. They just kind of, you know, heard him rustling about the house. It's just so early in the morning. Why, why do we have to do things so early in the morning? Anyway, so Mason's bus stop is around the corner and his parents assumed that that's where he was headed. But neither of them, like you said, actually saw him. So the truth is 
They don't really know what happened to Mason after he left that morning. And Tracy leaves to go to work. You know, she she eventually gets up, goes to work. Dad Darren spends most of the day in the backyard working. And he's expecting to give Mason his driving lesson that they put off the day before when he gets home from school. Right. So it's 3.15, no bus. 3.30 rolls around, no Mason. And then he's like, Oh, shit. I took his electronics last night. I can't even call or text yeah. him. Yeah, like, he's like, oh, wait, crap. All right. So then Tracy was like, you know what? Maybe he's just in a mood that we took away his phone and his laptop. And he's just being a typical teenager. And so, you know, she's just kind of like, oh, whatever. I mean, we took his stuff. I get it, you know? I thought maybe he was just blowing off steam and and staying away for a while. But then she checks her personal email at work. There's a notice from Mason's school. He didn't even go to school. Wait a minute, if he didn't go to school, maybe he didn't get on the bus. Tracy checks her email and there was like an absent email from the school. You know, if, if your kid's not in school, they, it generates an email. When we were kids... We didn't have that because we didn't have email because we are from the Stone Ages. And then Mama <laughs> Tracy's like, wait, he didn't go to school? Yeah. Like, where is he? He definitely left because he leaves through the garage door every morning. But, like, where is he? So Mama Tracy's like, this is weird. I'm going to head home. And so they go and knock on Mason's bedroom door. It's locked. Eventually, they break into his room, and it looks totally normal. Now, sometimes on Tuesdays after school, Mason would go to youth group at their church but they make a call and he's not there. So yeah. they make the decision, you know what? Let's wait until curfew to see if he comes home. That 10 p.m. curfew comes and goes and no Mason. Yeah, so it's then that they decide to file a missing persons report. And it's now that we learned that he has run away once before. Now, I have told you all that I ran away when I was little with nothing more than four hot dog buns and a bunch of grape juice. <laughs> I was like, I am out. <laughs> And I went and I climbed this hill and I ate the hot dog buns and I drank the grape juice. And then I went back home. My mom didn't even fucking notice I was gone. <laughs> she was like, oh, this house is just quiet for two hours. That's nice. <laughs> but wait, did you ever run away? I actually ran away. I was like, here I go. Hot dog buns. <laughs> I had a suitcase. I had my own suitcase. It was a cream colored suitcase. I filled with junk. I made it down to the end of the driveway. I thought I would go live in the woods that was near my house. I didn't uh -huh. make it past the end of that driveway. I was like, I'm too pretty to live in the woods. I'll never make yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Lola tried to run away and she was going to run away. And then she downgraded to just going to my neighbor's house. <laughs> my neighbor's name was Aaron at the time. She's like, I'm not good at errands. I was like, okay, bitch, go downstairs. You need to post the video in the Facebook group oh. of her running away. When of she's when you're like, away. why are you taking such a large suitcase? She's like, um, it's a medium suitcase. Yeah. The, oh, it was so funny. You guys, Lola running away. It was the funniest. It wasn't the first time Mason had done something like this. When he was in Canada, he had run away. And the circumstances then were strikingly similar. He blew off his responsibilities, and we're just saying, until your grades come up, we're going to take this away. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to want to hear what you have to say about this. The last time Mason ran away was because they had taken away his Xbox. Yeah. So at about 10 o'clock at night, he grabbed some food, some sleeping bag, and his resumes because, you know, he wasn't about to not get a good job. <laughs> and now it's December in Canada. Cold. Very cold. And after a few hours, he came back. Now... All of these things set into motion an idea that I've actually been thinking a lot about in my life. Now, you're not a parent, so you don't have an opinion that I'll take seriously, but I'll still listen I to it. I have two cats. Uh, and I always had privileges taken away as a kid. My dad used to beat me, and then my mom would take away privileges. And I also implemented that practice of taking away privileges when Lola was younger. But then I realized that, like, you're trying to get your kids to do stuff through punishment and fear. And I actually was like, I don't know if that's the best thing to do because, you know, when you're parenting and you implement a consequence, 
I know as an ordinary kid, it just made me want, you know, to do more bad shit and like could demotivate a kid. So I don't know if taking away stuff is actually the best form of punishment. I mean, what do you think is? I don't know. I mean, my dad was on a steady circulation of I brought you into this world and I can take you out <laughs> and also taking things away from me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really know. I just I kind of think that just like taking away privileges makes kids sad. I'm going to give you a for instance. During the pandemic, Lola did the exact same thing. Do you remember this? She stayed up late on her phone one night and I took away her phone and she lost her mind in a way I had never, ever seen. And I realized that because it was the pandemic, that was her connection to the outside world. Got you. You know, she would FaceTime. So I realized that that held a much more, a, a much bigger space in her world then I gave it credit for. Does yeah, that make sense? Totally. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what the answer is, but I fear that this little boy just kept having things taken away and that made him uh, pull back and withdraw more. Listen, I know that when my cats act up, sometimes I take away their, <laughs> their favorite toys and they get very okay. ornery. Anyway. Well, I'll just say this. My mother had great aim. If she got angry, she would just pick up whatever was close to her and throw it at us, and she'd never missed. My <laughs> Lord, that woman. But the point is, is if somebody had maybe sat me down and been like, this behavior is actually disappointing, and yeah, this is why, I maybe, I don't know. But also, I was 14 and pimply faced, and all I wanted to do was touch a penis. So unless someone right. was putting a penis in my hand, I doubt I would have been much happier. Okay, yeah. I'm going to stop turning to you for any kind of parental way, and I apologize for that. Thank God. Um, um, <laughs> all to say, we're all just fucking trying our best, and everybody is guessing. I'm not laying blame on the parents, but... It does seem like every time he had his electronics taken away, it meant something. You know, he was a shy kid. He didn't have a lot of friends. That was his connection to the outside world. That's why I told that story about Lola, because it all came back. But two years later, again, here they are taking away his electronics. Same thing. He doesn't come home and he wasn't a confrontational kid. So he wasn't going to start an argument with his parents. He probably was just going to leave. Yeah. He was a suffer in silence type like you and me. The next day on September 2nd, Mama Tracy drives to Mason's school, assuming he'd show up there. And she's paying for some of his graduation attire. But it turns out Mason didn't go to school. Yeah. So she goes and kind of gives his room another look through. And she found his school binder. But it was kind of hidden under clothes. And then upon further inspection, she found his wallet kind of hidden in his nightstand. His cash was there. His ID was left. Everything was kind of left there, but hidden. Maybe with the intention of making it look like he did take it all. I mean, he literally, it looks like he just left with the clothes on his back. Tracy quickly reaches out to their large extended family with the devastating news that Mason has gone missing. It was surprising because up in Canada, he was upset and, you know, a bit depressed. But down here, he seemed great. Police patrols in the area failed to locate Mason. Three days after his disappearance, St. George PD intensifies its efforts. Three days after Mason's disappearance, the St. George Police Department, they kick up their search into high gear. Mama Tracy calls the bus company and they're like, he didn't get on the bus. Also, to give you a good idea of the area, it's very residential, but there's not a lot of traffic. There's not a lot of cars. There's not a lot of anything. And then once you get out of this neighborhood of St. George, it's pretty much desert. It's it's barren, like my ovaries and love for others. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, but it is. It's it's just there's not a lot of places to go. Like my uterus. So <laughs> so, <laughs> so within a couple of days, the family comes down from Canada to St. George to help with the search and they fan out, they post flyers. Now, here's where we find out the neighborhood is very Mormon. Now, Dad Darren is agnostic, and Mama Tracy and all six of the kids are Mormon, which kind of surprised me because that's not something you really hear about too often, like one of the heads of the household just not having really any religious beliefs in the Mormon world. I knew they were Mormon as soon as they said six kids in St. George. And we also know a shit ton of former gay Mormons, uh, and they're lovely people. We'll get to it. This was a neighborhood that was united. They had multiple search parties the whole neighborhood. 
But then, a tip comes in that points their efforts in a new direction. They get a tip that they saw a boy matching Mason's description holding a sign that said he needed a ride to Vegas. I hate Vegas. It's very Nomi Malone. I hate Vegas. No, thank you. The lines, the getting drunk there costs a fortune. Then the people who do get drunk can't hold their booze. People think at the lobby of their hotel is their living room. The casinos are like giant soul-sucking money vacuums. (laughs) Honey, also, you're not in Paris. You're not in Venice. Stop taking pictures like you're in these famous places. You look like an idiot. Given the choice between a fucking week in Vegas and a week on a deserted island with my ex, I would choose Vegas. But still, I don't like it. Now, if you like Vegas, go off. I love you. Live your life. What am I, the police? What was I talking about? Wow, you that you're the suffer in silence type. Listen, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've only been to Vegas once. And baby, when I went, I was like, is this Vegas or a Walmart parking lot? I'm not sure. Yeah. Because everyone, yeah. it's a veritable poo-poo platter of trash. <laughs> So St. George is only two hours from Vegas. And so they get this tip and they realize there's a bunch of gas stations around the area. And so they decide to contact the gas stations to see if they have any surveillance footage. Now, remember how gas stations are going to save the world with all of their surveillance footage? This one does not. Yeah. Now, this is where they get a tip. They're like, hold on. We actually now have a tip that someone who looks like Mason is in Vegas. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's a tall, blonde hair, blue eyed, six foot four man in Vegas. Do you know how many people walk the Vegas strip in an average day? No. Over 37,000. Jesus Christ. And you saw, you saw, okay, I can't. No, you didn't. You didn't see him. He wasn't there. Do you know how many people I roll my eyes out in Manhattan a day? 37,000. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mason's father, Darren, immediately makes the 120-mile trip to where the tips are pointing. Darren loaded up and just went to Vegas and walked the streets. He's not alone. A Las Vegas-based volunteer group called Red Rock Search and Rescue has heard about Mason's case. He said, hey, maybe this kid's here. And without saying anything to the family, we were out looking for him. So dad Darren is not fucking around. As yeah. soon as he hears this, he hops in his truck, hauls ass to Vegas, where he just walks around, hands out flyers. But he wasn't alone. We meet David Cummings of the Red Rock Search and Rescue, which is a Las Vegas volunteer group. And baby, they were like, your kid's missing? We're on it. So sadly, dad Darren has no luck and heads back home. Now remember, Mason is... He's six foot four. He will stand out in a crowd. It's just, it's just a lot of people. Mama Tracy was like, I'm going to stay home. What if he just comes home? Yeah. He came home the last time. What if he just comes home? So now they finally hack into his computer. Good job. They check his YouTube and he had deleted all of his search history that morning at like 1230 in the morning. Yeah. They look through his phone and he didn't text much. He wasn't active on social media. They go through his phone, but sadly, there's just like nothing leading him anywhere. Now, you know, our promise. Erase everything. My life. All will be revealed if I go missing and you find my phone. You'll know exactly where I am, where I've been, and where I'm going, and all the dirty, dirty secrets. Oh, I know all your dirty secrets. And if anyone ever cornered, they wouldn't even have to torture me. They could just threaten to, we're gonna, we're gonna scratch you, and I'd be like, I'm gonna sing like a canary. I'm telling you everything <laughs> about old Yellen Mars. But you know, he only used his phone and computer for games and movies. Like literally, no trail. I mean, I use my phone for porn and well, mostly porn. Anyway. <laughs> Six days after the family of Mason Smith first reported he was missing, his mother takes a second look at Mason's wallet. This time, she sees something she missed before. My sister was staying with me. We read it together and we just we just sobbed and held each other. They're so heartbroken. She finds a note that had been folded many times and hidden in Mason's wallet. It was handwritten, and the word they use to describe it is deep, and it's intensely personal, and they haven't released the note, but the only part of it that they will release that it said was the words, I'm done. Yeah. Now, Mama Tracy said, look, I I took this as I'm done. I'm done living. I I don't want to do this anymore. But the police were like, I'm not so sure about that. And actually, that gave her hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said I'm done multiple times today while recording this podcast. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm done. 
done. I'm done. I'm done. And you know what? I respect their decision to not make that whole note public. I'm like, I don't sure. owe all of y'all that. Even yep. even though eventually we'll find out that people tried to throw suspicion at their yep. dad. They're like, we don't owe you this whole note. And you know what? I'm like, good for y'all. I support. Yeah. Now, they say that the note isn't dated. So now I actually, I don't know why they say this. They think that this note was written the day that... They took his electronics away the day before he went missing. And he really poured his emotion out on paper. The general gist was that he didn't feel like a good person. I'm going to speak more to that in a little bit. And they think that losing his phone was a trigger. And I actually can, again, can speak to that because that was where if he suffered from depression and anxiety, he knew he could kind of escape. Have you ever like left your headphones when you're going to take the train and you're like, well, now I have to be left alone with my own goddamn thoughts for 45 (laughs) minutes. Yes. You know, and it is. It's just a way to not think for a minute. And if you don't have those, you know, that distraction that leaves you alone with your thoughts. And if you're not comfortable with your thoughts or you're feeling bad or you're feeling depressed or anxious, I actually really understand that. First of all, I can't, I can't even imagine what a terrible thing for a, for a parent to find a, a letter days later sure. and to experience. I can't even imagine their pain. But I also just keep thinking about Mason's pain, you know, growing up in a very religious area, especially something, you know, like Mormonism, where I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say like there is an expectation of perfection in Mormonism and perfection is not a realistic goal. And if if it's all you know and you leave it and you're out there on your own or you're fighting to find a way out of what feels like an impossible situation, I just my heart breaks for that poor baby, you know? Yeah. His family's alarm is heightened by Mason's history. He suffered from depression a couple years before that. According to Tracy, almost two years earlier in Canada, his pain became so overwhelming, he told her he tried to take his life. So two years prior to this, Mama Tracy says that Mason had come to her and said he had tried to take his own life because his depression and his pain had become so unmanageable. And this resulted in him being hospitalized for a week to keep him from harming himself. Right. Fair enough. Their mind went there. And, you know, she said, we don't have guns in the house. We don't have any kind of prescriptions in the house. Now, that woman, what is her name? How do you pronounce her name? Sergeant Entz. Oh, Lady Sergeant. Now, I find this woman to make a lot of sweeping generalizations. And I kind of noticed it at the beginning of the documentary. And then it started to get worse and worse. And she said this one statement that I was like, okay, now you're bothering me a little bit. She said that usually if someone is going to harm themselves, they do it a mile away from home. And I was like, ma'am, where are you getting that information? That is not true. And please do not perpetuate that narrative because there are all kinds of stories out there. And I understand that you're trying to put your best foot forward for this story, but that's not true. That's not that's not based or rooted in any kind of fact. I, she said a few things as well. Like when she talks about, you know, there's a, a nearby cliff. Yeah, on the south. Yeah. And she's like, you know, if someone wanted to harm themselves and like, you know, a 30 foot drop will do it. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It, it, I, I just, I started, to, I noticed it in the beginning and it just seemed to get worse and worse. So a week passes and they have a bunch of false sightings. And I say this all the time. I can just imagine how that sends your emotions into a roller coaster of up and down. And I don't mean my kind of emotional roller coaster that happens every day at the slightest inconvenience. I mean a real emotional roller coaster that thought of like them maybe being found and then finding out it's not them. And obviously they want to investigate every potential lead, but knowing that nothing might come to fruition, it just, it, it just, I can't imagine all of that up and down of what a family like that goes through. Oh my God, I can't either. But they do get one tip that is very promising. So a neighbor named Sandy Lyman was dropping her kid off for her their dance lesson. And this wasn't a dance studio. Okay, this is a home. And all I can immediately think about is Drop Dead Gorgeous with that old ass ballet Suck instructor. In those <laughs> you look like a bunch of bow-legged cows. Other side. <laughs> Also, this woman's last name is Lyman, which is so close to Lehman, Becky and Lehman. So so I was like, oh, see, Drop Dead Gorgeous follows us everywhere. (laughs) So Sandy Lyman was dropping her kid off and she sees Mason walking away from the direction of his home. And this is at 3.15 in the afternoon. And she knew who he was because of church gatherings. So 
this isn't, uh, oh, I might, it might be him. This is a don't argue with me. I know that kid, and I absolutely saw him. And she was adamant that that was, in fact, Mason. She said that she knew it was him because she had interacted with him in church functions. There was probably about 15 feet between us. She just thought it was an odd time and an odd place for him to be walking. The only thing that this lead kind of maybe tells us is that he didn't have a plan. If he left at 740 in the morning, he might have been roaming around the neighborhood. You know, Darren was at home doing work. Mama Tracy was at work. So maybe he was mulling things about. So that's really the only thing that that sighting tells us is he might have just been wandering for a minute. Yeah. Well, more than three weeks later, the Red Rock search and rescue team who helped search for Mason in Vegas, they come to St. George to do what they do. They search for two days. It's a very wide, extensive search, like 30. It's vast. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> so they search for two days, 30 to 40 square miles. They had cadaver dogs, the works, and sadly, they come up with nothing. Yep. And they make a Facebook page and we just see pictures of his sweet face. His family has asked whether Mason may have been struggling with other issues besides his depression. What about these rumors that, that he was gay? And I, I said, you know, that doesn't matter. He's, he's missing. We'd love him regardless. So how does that help us find him sooner? comes the rumors of him being gay. Yeah. Now, of course, that Joey and I talked about this for a minute this morning because I do have a lot of people that I know and that I love that are in the Mormon church. And I actually didn't know the exact definition and what the Mormon church says about homosexuality. And like Joey says, we have a lot of former Mormon friends that are gay men. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I looked it up and this is what it says. This is verbatim. It says members of the church who experience homosexual attraction, including those who self-identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual, remain in good standing in the church if they abstain from same-sex marriage and all sexual relations outside an opposite-sex marriage. Feelings of same-sex marriage are not a sin. Let us be clear. The attraction itself is not a sin, but acting on it is. Even though individuals do not choose to have such attraction, they choose how to respond to them. Now, I'm going to give you the microphone. I am not gay, nor am I religious, and I do hate sweeping and obtuse statements. But something that I've thought very heavily, and I feel safe saying this, is a fundamental thing that queer people are robbed of is spirituality. And the idea that it is, and again, obviously you can speak more to this, that idea that says gay or you don't get a God, that's sad. It's really gross. And it does, you know, it, it left me in turmoil. Like I, I had yeah. definitely had internal conflict for a really long time. When I hear something like that, that they're like, you know, it's natural to have those feelings, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, it's a sin. And if you act on it, then that is a, an, ab an abominable sin. So what I'm hearing is we hope we've brainwashed you enough that you'll mm -hmm. still cling to Mormonism so that we can get your 10% tithe every week and, and that we don't lose you because, you know, there's strength in numbers and we want your money. However, you can't do that gay shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. very twisted. It's very manipulative. and. I have seen people, not just with Mormonism, with an array of religions, try to come to terms with being gay and being a religious and the want and desire to remain religious. But that conflict, you know, it's not a fun place to be. My aunt told me, who was a devout Catholic, she told me when I came out, she says, well, you know, it's OK to have those feelings, but uh, it's a sin to act on it. You should just become a priest. And I was like, what? Yeah. Are you yeah. OK? So yeah. I don't deserve love like you. I don't deserve to have a partner and to be in a healthy relationship. Like it just makes you feel not good enough. It makes you feel not worthy enough and, and all for reasons that you can't help. So I got a big middle finger toward all that shit. Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on, you know, religious trauma and that bullshit. But when they said that, I was like, oh, what if that poor baby was gay and he just could not handle, you know, the judgment or he wanted to go live the life. And his mother says, you know, we would love him no matter what. Of course you would love him no matter what. But the judgment, I mean, nobody's judging, you know, 
Kathy Crothers over there in her nasty ass Coles culottes that she shouldn't be wearing in the dead of November with her fucking, you know, slide kids on. But you're going to judge this man for who he loves. I could talk about it forever. But when that came up, I was like, ouch. Yeah. I hope that's not fucking true. I hope he was not suffering with that. And sadly, we'll never know. So now five months later, the rumors start that dad Darren is somehow involved in Mason's disappearance. and. We see a clip of him in an interview, and this man is brokenhearted at the idea that people would believe he would harm his son. He goes to the cops. He's like, I'm not fucking around with this. I will do anything. You come to my house, go through anything and everything. Me and Tracy will take a poly, anything it takes to clear my name, and also for people to know affirmatively, I would never harm my son. I love my son. Yes, of course they have to exhaust every avenue and an accusation like that is deeply hurtful but he was just like let's do this you you want to dance show me the steps I'll do anything because you looking at me is taking time away from finding my son so do what you need to do listen the internet has power for good and evil it really does and when it chooses evil sweet lord it is Rosemary's baby with glowing green eyes just reeking of Satan, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, uh, let's do better here. But anyway, they both take a poly and they both pass. And Tracy was like, you know, then people were speculating. He doesn't want to live under your roof. He doesn't want to live with your rules. I was like, yeah, bitch, everybody who turns 18, they can't wait to get out of their parents' house. They know better. We fundamentally don't like rules as humans. And, you know, you can't wait to get out of your house. You think you're smarter. You think your parents, of course, that is not new information, nor is it helpful. Every 18-year-old thinks they know better and that their parents aren't cool, and you just can't wait to fucking, you know, walk out the door and slam it behind you, and then you're like, oh, I miss you. Whatever. Right. That, that, that's, it, there's just so many things that every family has to deal with. Yeah, oh, sure, maybe he didn't want to live under those rules anymore. Where's my son? Yeah, like, totally. You know? More than seven months after Mason Smith's disappearance, One particular day looms on the horizon. Mason's 18th birthday. There was some hope when he turned 18 that Tracy thought that he may have been holding out till he was that age and then he would get in touch. 18th birthday? Yeah, I'm expecting a phone call too. So that, you know, they're holding out faith that, you know, he's going to turn 18 and maybe he'll be like, all right, I'm a man. You can't tell me what to do, but I'm I'm back. And so seven months later, you know, after his disappearance, his birthday comes and goes. And sadly, there's there's no Mason. And it just leaves Mama Tracy hugely disappointed. Yeah. And this last tip, you know, he was seen at a Panda Express. He asked these two girls for change. And they said he was kind and polite and that he needed bus fare. And then they recognized him and they noticed his speech. So they kind of like looked at that as a really exciting tip. And they went to go find surveillance. And much like my digestive system, when I eat at Panda Express, the video surveillance was not working. (laughs) So and, you know, they tried everything. And we end it and Mama Tracy, you know, still pays for his cell phone service because she thought, well, that might be the only number he remembers by heart. Even though the phone is in police custody, she knew that if Mason ever, you know, wanted to reach back out, maybe he'll call that number. Yeah. You know, she talks about the finality of turning off his phone. And mm-hmm. I completely understand. Like, I, I shed yeah. a tear because I, I just went through this with my dad. It's that moment where you're like, this is final. You're never prepared yeah. for it. And you're like, it, it makes it so real. Honestly, Mama Tracy, uh, I feel how much you love that kid. I'm, I'm, I wish I could hug you. I really do wish I could hug you. I understand that. I hope they get the closure that they so deserve. Yeah, that part really got to me. So we end with a plea, you know, that they love him. There is a $10,000 reward in place for any information leading to Mason's location. Anyone with information about Mason is asked to call the St. George Police Department at 435-627-4300. Also, I just want to say, we all have trauma from our childhoods. We all do. It's all different kinds. In the past year, I have unpacked a lot of mine. But if you do have religious trauma or gay trauma or whatever that trauma is, You don't have to carry that around for the rest of your life. I highly recommend reaching out for help and finding a therapist. 
You know, I always joke about call your therapist, but truly, I believe those words so much because it saved my life. And it made me feel like, oh, no, I am worth something. I have a place in this world. And my love is just as good as anyone else's love. So I just want to encourage you that you can create your own family wherever you are but also you can do it with a clean slate. Unpack all that shit. Yeah, you don't have to carry it around, baby. My love is your love. All right. I mean, honestly, this episode, this really got me. So say something funny. Speaking of Panda Express, uh, a group of pandas is called an embarrassment. <laughs> so um, don't be a group of fucking pandas, you gay ass. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, don't get us talking on religious trauma, Mormonism, and fucking Vegas, because we will take, and stutters, apparently, we will take some monologuing time. (laughs) Honey, I got got something to say. He's got a monologue. Anyway, we love you. Thank you so much. We would love you to follow us on social media. Our Instagram is The Disappeared Pod. We are on Facebook. Tell them the name of the Facebook group. It's called The Obsessed with Disappeared Facebook. No, it's called The Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. It honestly has taken you an obscene amount of time to learn that. It is. You know what? I realized the problem is not me. You're still messing up. Whoever came up with that title, why didn't y'all just say OWD discussion group? Why wasn't it just that? Steve! (laughs) Joey's got some notes! Okay. We'll see see how that ends. Join us on the Patreon. We would love to hear what series you would like us to cover next. We're having fun with the camp ones, so if you have some fun camp ones, throw them our way. We are here for you. With the Patreon, you get three bonus episodes plus all of our episodes ad-free. You have access to our close friend circle, and we just love interacting with you. We have a lot of surprises coming in store. We are going to be at Obsessed Fest. We are counting down the days. I feel like summer is rapidly approaching. Oh, it is. That means... We're all going to be in Ohio so soon. No, it means hot cougar summer. Wow. But um, other than that... Um, also, don't forget, <laughs> our merch is out. We have new merch. Our merch is out! We've got Bride Thy Neighbor merch. We've got DB merch. We've got a whore's worth of swabs makeup bag. <laughs> I have been begging for a makeup bag that says that since 1902. It is one of my favorite things. We've got hats. We have Say Something Funny shirts. Also, you've been asking for some other merch that's coming, but it's a surprise. It's coming! But we love hearing from you. Connect with us on socials, and I love you, Joey. I love you, Yellen Marsh, and I love you, down bitches! Love you! Bye! Bye. You already said that, didn't you? I did. (laughs) The editor will figure it out. I'm sorry! Yeah, you gave no new information. Okay! (laughs) Did you get the, what do you call it when something is a, a an, it, not an anagram? What is it when it's like, you know, a wall or, you know, what is that called? It's, it's something. It's called I something. I can't think of it. Go on. <laughs> She's like, the other day I went to fold a blanket, it broke in half. <laughs> One, two, three. You, you purposely pause. You go, One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Well, who's editing this? I hope you can figure it out. All right. <laughs>